Hey, Michelle. Hey, Mike. Turn that mic on. <laughs> yeah, that's important. I grabbed it to pull it in the right spot and I um, muted it. So that's the kind of morning it's been. Well, this was a simple little episode. We should be able to knock this one out in about 12 minutes. Okay, let's do it. I'm being facetious. Or sarcastic. Well, kind of. Kind of. <clears throat> but kind of not, right? No, I thought this one was probably the deepest one. Okay. Uh, uh, well, to answer that, you got to step right into it. Dive right into it. First of all, Michelle, um... I forgot some stuff from last week. Uh, okay. Warren Zevon ended the show last week. Our friend Warren Zevon, we did a podcast about one of his, about him actually, his songs and stuff. He sang a song called Detox Mansion at the end of la- the last episode. Really? Oh, that's cool. Um, and in the whole circular nature of things, we we're thinking about doing some other YouTube type podcasts about songs and stuff. And um, we were, as I was watching some YouTubes, I saw the previews of Shaft, so we're going to try to do that one. Just do the opening credits scene of Shaft from 1971. I think that'll be fun. That'll be coming up, so look for that on, on True Detective. Look for that on West Coast Project. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, this one I thought was pretty deep. Um, one other, other thing I said last week about Pizzolatto, he didn't grow up in Arkansas. He took a creative writing course at the University of Arkansas. That was his connection. I actually grew up in Louisiana, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember that since you said that, because that's where True Detective uh, 1 was set in, right, Louisiana? Yeah. So, so, so much for the housekeeping. What was your first impressions of, or what were your first impressions of Hunters in the Dark? Who are the Hunters? <sighs> Who knows? Okay, when... I made a note before I even started watching this episode because I was thinking about all the other episodes leading up to this. And I just made a note um, as it was coming on that I thought this episode was going to be like a make or break episode. Something either has to happen or not in this episode to make this like to make or break this season. If this is going to be like the Great season one, it had to happen in this episode, I thought. And if it wasn't, then that was going to show in this episode, too. And the first time I watched it, I was really excited about this episode. But then the second time I watched it, I just didn't like a lot of stuff in it. So maybe it's just me. But I I don't like Okay. They're going to have to just, like, unfold the story as it goes along. That's how you figure out these kind of things. And there's going to be false leads and stuff like that. But I don't understand why we're getting to two episodes from the end now. And they're throwing out all this stuff that doesn't make any sense that would have been missed the first time to me. So... I'm not disappointed yet, but I think I'm going to be disappointed. Now, having said all that, this season's been great. I think it'll go down as great, but I don't know if it'll go down as, like, unforgettable. I don't know if it's going to go down like season one. 
Yeah, I don't even care about that. I don't even care about the comparison to season one. But I just think I thought this episode was really good because I think we learned a lot more. I, okay, tell me, tell me why. Well, what I did... think I think now I don't think Will's death was an accident. I think it, I think he was taken out so they could separate Julie from him. Um, why? What makes you think that? Because that because there's the pink room at the Hoyt Mansion. That hasn't. Yeah, I don't and, think so. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. You don't think that's a pink room at the basement of the <laughs> mansion? I obviously think. But we guessed this, right? We guessed this episodes ago. But that's okay. It's okay. I'm I'm totally fine with the fact well, that we kind of Well, this is, this is why this I don't think Will's death was an accident, though. Cause why? There, there was a pink room being set up for her at the Hoyt Mansion. Not but they a, were separated. Yeah, but... Deliberately. So they could take her. Right. I don't think that necessarily may. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. May- so they, I think okay. that's one of the clues. I think, I think Tom saying as they rode their bikes off, watch out for your sister, like be protective of your sister. Like she, like the world <laughs> boys protect girls from evil. <laughs> I think that's a clue. <clears throat> I'm remembering okay. this stuff and maybe creating it in my own head as clues, but that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Julie's concerned for him. Where's my brother? She doesn't know where Will is later on the phone. Right. Um, and then the other girl in the in the nunnery in the halfway house telling Amelia to write about what happens to girls. They only wanted Julie and they had to separate her to bring her to her special pink princess room. Right. And and prepare her for whatever evil happens to her that the other girl alludes to in the halfway house that, that they made Will's death look like an accident and maybe to appease Julie, they posed, posed him the way that they did. But I think that, I think that became clear to me because of all that stuff together. Okay, I think you might end up being more disappointed than I'm going to end up being. I don't, I, or maybe you're going to be right, and I'm going to be super disappointed. But one of us is going to be let down in this. They, I don't think that's it at all. I don't think anything that we learned in this changed my opinion on anything about Will or anything that happened with Will. Um. I really didn't understand the fact that now Tom was supposed to be homosexual and why they threw that in here. What on earth well, there- is that coming in? And how did they not know this at the beginning? Everybody's talking about it now, 10 years after the fact, but nobody even alluded to it or mentioned it in any way. 10 years prior. That's just completely nonsensical to me. Well, um, I think there's a clue to that, too. Okay, tell me. is still heaping new evidence on us at, at, at two episodes from the finish line. I'll, I'll admit that. But, yeah, Tom's gay, and it looks like Will, um, not Will, but Harris is gay. Harris, the James, Harris James, the cop slash Hoyt employee. Why? Why is because he, he looks at he looks at Hayes and he says, "Oh no, donuts on you! You have a really nice body there, Mister Cop." I think that I think that's a clue. Hmm. I I don't I, think those two things happening in this episode were a coincidence. Okay, I thought he was I just being. That, I don't know what that yeah. clue reveals, but but for, right. 
and I don't know. I mean, Tom, and, and the whole the religious aspect of it, the nuns, the the halfway house, the Pizzolatto grew up as a Catholic. I mean, maybe he's saying something about how the Catholic religion hurts children and doesn't like gay people. I mean, who know, who knows what kind of statement he's making? But those two things happening in this episode were not a coincidence. Or maybe just what better guardian of a pink princess than a gay man who would have no sexual interest in her? Okay, I I didn't necessarily catch that about Harris, um, Harris James. I did think it was kind of an odd thing to say. Um, but at the same time, I thought he was just being a smart aleck to them. I thought it was just like, you know, throwing insults. You know, cops like donuts and... You know, and he's like, I don't eat donuts. And I, I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of like a, no, that, a little that, insult being hurled. <clears throat> There's no, and he, because he does have a nice, if he was fat, it would be that. But he's not. He does have a good body. Okay. I okay. don't think those are coincidental. No, no, I've said that three times. But um, Tom looks like he has gambling problems as well. When they're going through his stuff, they found like casino chips and stuff. Right, and all the unpaid bills. And Tom yeah. is drinking after being clean? Yeah, I thought that was just because of what has happened now. Like, it caused him to, you know... I mean, suddenly the phone call comes in and he's brought in and all that happens. And I thought that just, like, threw him over the edge. That doesn't don't matter why. It's still pretty profound. I think that he's he seemed so well when he, when Roland saw him saw him, whatever a couple episodes ago, and gave him the coffee, and they had a nice clean cut conversation. Well, right, because it's been presumably what you know nine years since this stuff's kind of you know the dust has had a chance to settle on it, and then suddenly it's all brought back up again. I could see how that could kick off another. A drinking episode and an alcoholic. I mean, right. he hasn't been clean for nine years. But anyway, the dust has had nine years to settle on what's happened. I didn't think that was particularly odd. The The comment about Harris James being homosexual, that's interesting. I didn't get that. So that's that's interesting. My mind's kind of swirling around that. But, okay, so tell me what the whole Henry having an affair with Eliza is about. Well, he's clearly having an affair with her, and he's questioning his dad. Should he tell his wife about it? I mean, uh, that wasn't news to us this episode, though. We knew that, right? We knew what? That they were having an affair. No. Why did I think that already? I I don't know. I think we talked about that, didn't we? No. I never thought about Henry having an affair with Eliza. Never. Hmm. Never even know. entered my mind. And then suddenly this time they're having an affair and they're fighting. In front of, I, I don't know. It was just like such an odd thing to throw in there. And it, at this point, it needs to mean something. So you definitely could be right about Tom. Tom and the Harris James things. I'm, I'm going to have to rethink my whole position on that. But I just... Even so, even if that's true, even if you you like you know found this and I was completely clueless about it, which is totally possible. The fact that Devil's Den was a was a homosexual hangout, a meeting place for people, wouldn't that have come up before now? 
I just, I'm, I'm, I really dislike that. The second, the first time I watched it was like, okay, 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 and just trying to absorb the information. But then when I went back and rewatched it, I was just like, this stuff would have come out before now. They're talking about it way too openly now and way too casually now for it not to have been brought up um, 10 years ago. Well, I don't know. I mean, for some reason, it's part of the story that we'll yeah. see in the next two weeks. But um, so what else do we know that what's the what's with the Halloween lady always hanging around Lucy? She's popped up in a bunch of scenes in the series. Yeah. The chubby I, Halloween lady is always around Lucy. Is it just a neighbor? She's the neighbor, but she's like almost like her bodyguard or her watch person that's like makes sure that Lucy doesn't say the wrong thing. Like she's always next to her. She's been in way too many scenes without without producing any dialogue or producing any reason. Yeah. So she's curious. Um, Dan is a mess. Dan turned from a relatively clean-cut looking guy to a pretty bad mess in this episode. Yeah, he really did. There was one picture of him. He looks pretty normal. He looks like a pretty, you know, nice-looking guy, but now he's, like, tweaked. Yeah, and the fact that his name's Dan, and he reminded me of Lieutenant Dan and uh, Forrest Gump, how he went from this, like, much more straight-laced looking guy to this, you know. Yeah, Lieutenant Dan had a way more together than this guy does, though. But at that one point he didn't, remember? And the, this new this new black guy with the bad eye is very, very motivated to be... What is behind his motivation? He's very, very driven to be vocal about Amelia's book. Well, he's, that's what he, I'm... That's another question. He's yeah. expressing what I was saying about about uh, Wayne not liking about Amelia, that you're profiting from somebody's fate. So, I don't know. That is a lot of new evidence that... <clears throat> I don't know. I don't mind it. I, I used to say, well, we're doing too much evidence and not enough answers, but I don't know. I th- kind of like this episode. Okay. I mean, I'm glad. Like I said, I liked it the first time, and I was really looking for something. I I don't like... Okay, if this series were 20 episodes, I would have loved this episode. I really dislike it when they toss everything in at the end. And so that's probably just my own thing. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people don't feel that way, but that was part of my issue with this. I, I like a, a slow burn, but I like it to accumulate with something, right? I mean, I like give us some stuff along the way. I don't think everything has to end in just this big bang with, uh, everything being tossed at us at one time. I think it's okay to like tie up little pieces in place of just creating more pieces as we go along. And that's not just with this show. I mean, with any, you know, TV, that's what I prefer. Well, if you think about the math of it, they still have 25% of the story to left to wrap it up. So it's, you know, the final fourth 
is not that much of a slam dunk at the very, very end. They have two episodes. True. That's true. But there again, you know, and I mean, this is just personal preference on this stuff, but I tend to really like it when they kind of wrap up a season in the penultimate episode, right? And then the last episode where they just kind of explain it all and give you like the color and the detail on it. They can still do that. They can. I just don't trust them at this point. There's too much, but we'll see. You're right. Okay. So we start off in 1980 with Hayes and Amelia in bed after they've been together for the first time. And they have this interesting conversation where she's saying that she was trying to hold out because he seems like the guy who would appreciate that in a woman. And he says that he's not judging her. And she starts asking him about pulling his weapon and at as a police officer and how he had to obviously do it when he was in the military. And he says that stuff just doesn't affect him. He doesn't spend any time thinking about it. And she can't understand that at all. Yeah, I got from this that she's still digging. She's mining his past for stuff she can write about. I know they're intimate here, but then they're just talking like people do. But she's she's essentially getting material from him. How often you pull your gun, you know, glad you weren't hurt. Well, she, she hasn't started any of this stuff yet, right? I mean, she's not writing yet. Yeah, but in her head, I and mean, she's the person she bec- ends up becoming. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can see that. I didn't take it that way, but I don't know. She is a bit of a she is a bit of a chronicler of other people's interesting things for her own interest to to satisfy herself. Well, yeah, but so is like every documentary writer. So is um, probably probably what would you say? Uh, over 50% of books are stuff that's based on other people's stories, at least loosely in some way, or some incident that people's heard about or something. Yeah, but when you're in bed with somebody and they're talking to you, you, you want to connect what they're talking to you because they care about you and they're interested in your past, not just looking for material. And they make it pretty clear that she's formulating the story as she's talking to him, not just connecting with him. On a personal level. She's um, quite the story collector, considering that she marries him and has two kids with him well, and all that. It's just all that, a front. She it's a front she, for the information. She just wanted the information for this book. Not That's not just what she wants, but I definitely believe that is what part of what she wants. I that's she, funny. She's, she's tracking it. She's finding the nugget from his past that she can write about. Okay, now he's smoking here, like chain smoking. And then later on we see uh, where he's smoking again. I wonder if that has anything to do with what made him stop and all that. Or if that has any, because they bring it up. I mean, he's doing it here, chain smoking. And then Henry talks about, oh, you're smoking again. Yeah, I don't know. I don't connect anything to that. But they do make smoking a part of it because Henry picks up. The pack of cigarettes and smokes right. himself. Right. Okay, then we go to 1990, and it's the investigators in the room listening to the new Julie phone call that's come in and asking them to, um, where she's asking them to get Tom to leave her alone. He's the man acting like her father. She knows what he did. 
the police are asking Hayes and West why they didn't follow up on Tom. And I just, I don't like this. This is annoying to me even as I read it. Anyway, so they say they'll question Tom if Hayes and West won't, but Hayes and West say they will and blah, blah, right? Why does it annoy you? Because they can't have shown us what they've shown us at the beginning of this with Tom and then suddenly turn this around and it be on Tom. It's a lie. It's like you said. It's a lie. They can't have shown... They cannot show us stuff, but they can't show us Tom being there. The kid's wanting to leave. He didn't push him out. He freaks out. He's looking for him. He has no idea anything, and they can't show us all that. They showed us what he did. They showed us, and now they're going to go back and act like this is on Tom. I don't think they're doing that, though, Michelle. I think this scene with Tom... Is, is the attorney general and the Nazi lieutenant cop looking at Tom as like a loose end that may unravel their story about Woodard? And so they're like, we got to, why didn't you figure this guy out before? This is now a loose end. This is problems for us. And they, and they let Wayne and Roland talk to Tom. Roland and Wayne insist on talking to Tom so the other guys don't talk to Tom because they would have grilled the hell out of Tom and they, they, they fake grill Tom to to appease them. They, yeah, I don't know if they're fake grilling. Yeah, they are. They're stepping in in front of these other cops because they they were gonna grill Tom and they're like, no, no, we'll do it. And then they they pretend to be hard asses on him so that the other cops don't step in and do it. They're protecting Tom. Okay, I, I, what, I, I did not get that at all. I really got that they, because they were staying outside the room saying, how could we have missed something like that? And they're, they're going by nothing other than what the girl said on the phone call, that she knows what he did, which is a little suspicious, but... I mean, she's gone, and who knows what she's been fed. And that's kind of what we talked about before. She could have been told that he did something, and that's what she would think. Well, that she is also what thinks that is what happened. This is not Pizzolatto reintroducing. Oh, it might, still might have been Tom. Don't forget, it could be Tom. This is them. This is the the dopey cops who want the thing, the story to go their way, worried about Tom because this this Julie statement does look suspicious. It does. But if Tom and Harris James, based on what you said, because, I mean, this, it, I was really annoyed before you said that. But if that's true and they had something going on. I don't think they have something going on together between, like, I don't well, think but, they're in a relationship. I just think the fact that they're both gay is some sort of clue. No, they would have to. That would have to be part of it. There's no other reason to tell that. That's that's why my mind was going a thousand miles a minute when you were saying that. I didn't get that um, from what I watched. But if that's true, then there would have to be something between Tom and Harris James. There would have to be. Or some wacky religious cult that thinks 
gay people are bad and their children need to be taken away. And well, why, why would that make Harris James gay? I don't know. That I don't know the gay. Do I don't know it. the gay connection. I just don't think it necessarily means Tom and Harris are together. You see, I would think it would have to, and then that's why Harris got Tom's kids, and that's why he got this cushy job with the high salary, which is important. Yeah, but they didn't need Harris to be gay with Tom to get Tom's kid. They just needed, I mean, Lucy worked there. They knew they had avenues to Julie other than them being gay. It's a okay. clue. It's a clue that we don't have the answer to, or we're smart, not smart enough to connect it to the answer yet. But I, I think it's interesting that two guys being introduced as gay has to mean something, you know. It's not like yeah. Oh yeah. But, by but, the way, it was gay. But isn't it weird though if it's true that that Harris James is gay? In this episode, we find out, and we find out that Tom is gay, and Tom's kids went missing. Hoyt had something to do with it, obviously, based on the end of this. And now Harris James is working for him with a cushy salary. That's got, they got to be connected. Have to be. Otherwise, yeah. that's a ridiculous, you know, breadcrumbs to leave. Well, this. money money is also a pretty strong motivating factor. If Harris planted that backpack, because I mean, we should just go through the rest of the scene because. Okay. It's, it's kind of unfolds itself, I think. Well, Hayes is uh, bringing up the peephole into Julie's room, and Tom is just completely freaked out by this. He didn't know anything about it, you can tell. And they are asking him um, who the kids were playing with at Devil's Den, and did you give her to somebody? And... Tom starts just like yelling into his hands. And I thought that was some really great acting. Did you see Scoot's face when he was doing this? Like the veins are like sticking out in his forehead when he was doing that. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I just I'm so convinced that the way they they keep showing this two way mirror and that's like it's essentially a theater. They're in a little theater and everybody's mm-hmm. watching it. That it's that it is theater for these cops. Okay, we're going to be really hard on Tom. Don't worry. We're going to get it out of him. It's theater. It's to show them that we're, we're, we're playing the politics, boys. Don't worry. We'll uncover it. So you don't have to do it because those other guys would have ripped, that, ripped them even more than Wayne and Roland did. Yeah, but they talk later on throughout this whole episode, particularly Hayes. He's not convinced that Tom is innocent in this. He says it several times. Uh, West is, I think. West seems more convinced of Tom's innocence. He believes Tom. Yeah, so that, Hayes does not. That right there, do you think Roland was really ripping him then in that scene where he's interrogating him if he really thinks he's innocent? Yeah. I felt like he was. Mm, okay. Because, I mean, I don't know what else they could have said to him or done. I'm sure there's other things if the other guys had went in there. And I think they did go in there to protect him. From those other guys, but not to protect him from the truth, I guess, is what I'm saying. I think they still want the truth and what's going on. I think that, too. But I, I think that and I think you're right that Wayne doesn't know yet that Tom's innocent and Roland is convinced, maybe overly convinced that he's innocent, like he just hopes he's innocent. But I think Tom is innocent. I mean, that the veins in the forehead. You're right. That is the guy's not play acting. 
even though he's acting. Scoot McNary is acting this Tom Purcell perfectly because that's how a dad who had this really happen to him would act or would behave. Oh, I know. Yeah, because they're basically accusing him of um, having sexual feelings toward Julie with the peephole and everything. And it was just another thing we're going to learn later on in this episode. That's why I say we should just go through it. But there's so many people get knocked off. Yeah. Tom's going to be knocked off (laughs) or not alive, I think. Uh, and well, we'll get to it because there's so yeah. many people, like almost everybody. Right, right. Okay, so outside the room, they're looking in on Tom, and they're saying that um, they're saying who could have planted the evidence at Woodard's house. They want to go through Tom's house, and they want to figure out where the phone call from Julie came from. So they're talking about that kind of stuff. And Hayes is saying that he normally has a feel for something once they've interrogated somebody, but he cannot get a feel for Tom, which is kind of odd because he's really good at this tracking and feeling and all that. So that was a little bit odd. Then we go to 2015 and Eliza is asking uh, Hayes, what investigators did after that phone call. And he says it came from a truck stop. They found a partial print of Julie's. And we go back to that. And Hayes and West are at the truck stop. West, West asked why Hayes didn't want to tell the bosses about the backpack. And Hayes says he didn't want to give them that to use on Tom yet. And he goes, but it was definitely planted. So they did that whole truck stop scene just for that one little uh, conversation. So that was interesting. Yeah, Michelle, you know, I can't do an episode of um, West Coast Project without dragging in other TV series that I've liked. But did you get the feeling that this that Pizzolatto was a big fan of Breaking Bad? It felt Breaking Bad-ish, didn't it? (laughs) This whole the the gas station phone booth reminded me so much of Breaking Bad with the the time they went and they found the Hank found the ATM at the gas station and they hoped he had a camera in it. and, And then Walt put the put the swiper thing on the guy's battery and shorted out his car. And later on, we see that in the house, in the old Purcell house, all the graffiti just reminded right. me so much of Breaking Bad. Right. I bet Pizzolatto was a fan. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But who wasn't? Okay. So Hayes comes home to change and Amelia's there. She's helping him tie his tie and all that. And he asked her where she's going. And she says she has things to do to work on her new book about the investigation. It's a sequel. Anything and, to that tie? Like he was always on a clip on tie so he wouldn't get strangled. And here she is helping put the noose around his neck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And now she's writing a sequel book to further hang him. I don't know. That was that was interesting that they did the tie scene while she talks about the next book. And it's not something he's happy about. That is interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. She says that he acts like he can't breathe in this house, too, as she's tying the tie, which is interesting. And he says that she's looking for something she can't find there. It's this weird interaction with them. Both of them think the other person isn't fully vested in the home, in their marriage, It's like she has accused him repeatedly of, you know, not being there. And he is accusing her of using what's there to further what she actually wants. I know. I expected when they were in bed in that earlier scene for her to turn to her left and, like, scribble some notes on the notepad. (laughs) Wait, a gunfight? How many gunfights? 
You anyway. are awfully suspicious of her. Okay, so Hayes and West are talking to Tom's old contacts, friends, employer, people. And the employer guy says he was on his way out even before what happened with the kids. I don't believe for a second that this guy would not have thrown Tom under the bus back in 1980 when they spoke to him. I, do. I just don't believe. He Why? seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like a good guy that was concerned about Tom when we saw okay. him with Tom. Mike, yeah, I agree. And yes, but if children are missing, you tell people what you know. And he didn't. He, he like didn't, covered for Tom. He didn't tell him about Tom drinking on the job, which, I mean, loosely, I guess you could have said it had something to do with Julie's disappearance, but that's really not directly related to the guy's daughter's missing. And the well, fact he that he's that. gay. Yeah, he doesn't know that that's not directly. It may be directly related. But the way he says it, he says, you know, the guys gave him a hard time because he was seen coming out of a homosexual club. So the fact that if the guys that he worked with saw him coming out of a out of a gay club and nobody mentioned that to them, it's not even like this was a big secret. The people he worked with knew it. So you know there was rumors going around, but Hayes and West never found that out. But if, but if you're put yourself in the boss's shoes, if you were a person who thought that being gay was a stigma that you that that made you look bad, and you were semi friendly, semi protective of this guy, and you didn't think it had anything to do with this poor guy's daughter being, you might not r- spill the whole pot of beans. I guess, but they're talking about Tom now differently. Like in 1980, we didn't get any bad feelings about Tom, right? Tom was the poor father that had lost his children. We didn't get any of this. And then suddenly in 1990, Tom was a little bit shady back in 1980. And everybody's just willing to talk about it. Well, I don't think gay makes him shady. And I don't think drinking makes him shady. Drinking on the job Makes him shady. Not in the regard of his daughter being missing, it doesn't. But no, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about just in general as a human being, right? They I mean, are pain- you're right. They are painting him in gambling, gambling chips and late bills. and They are painting him as less than perfect. But maybe that's, I don't know. I don't know what it means. So I don't know what argument I'm trying either. to prove well, the- well, they just didn't, you know, they they just didn't portray him that way back in 1980. He was portrayed as like the sad sack, kind of uh, can't do anything, kind of like, uh, what was the guy's name, the kid in school, um, that uh, Freddie Burns, who was kind of a victim of his circumstances, but a good guy. Yeah, it's, made that, or it's a conveyor belt. Freddie Burns is Tom Purcell. 15 years later right for sure but uh, but we but veins in the forehead michelle we know he's not guilty right so this all this all means something but unless he's guilty for something that he didn't mean to do unless he started something lucy he didn't know he started yeah yeah, for sure. Okay, so they're in Tom's house and they're searching. They find the final notice bills we've talked about, the twelve step book, the um, cigar box with all these pictures in it, and then the nightstand with condoms and a pamphlet that says homosexuality can be cured. So yeah, those things are incongruent. You don't put your condoms next to your pamphlet about how to turn ungay. 
So you don't use your tools of being gay with the how to become free from being gay together. So you think maybe it was he was well, but this wasn't set up though, right? No, I think it's an efficient way to reveal these clues to us by the storytellers. But it's interesting that they're together. Okay, so Hayes and Wes are driving. Hayes said, although Michelle, Mm -hmm. that's not a bad comment you just made that he might be being set up. Who knows? He did go to gay clubs, though, so maybe not. Yeah, or did he? Because it didn't come out back then that he did. So Hayes and Wes are driving. Hayes says uh, that Tom is not the saint of all suffering. And then we find out that Devil's Den was a homosexual cruising spot. We never have heard that before, and I would think that would have certainly at least come up in passing. West is angry, saying Tom wouldn't do it, and West says if it's not him, we clear him. Hayes says then they have to finish, or Hayes says if it's not him, we'll, we'll clear him, but they have to finish it this time. They have to figure out who it actually was. So then we go back to 1980, and Hayes is looking over the Woodard incident stuff. When the whole upper echelon uh, bosses come in, they're telling him that his shooting was cleared. They find out, we find out West's going to keep his leg. Of course, we knew that. The boy's backpack and the girl's shirt were both found at Woodard's place. Hayes is saying, This ain't all of it. This doesn't make any sense. But they're convinced it's Woodard. They want it to be Woodard. They want to put this thing to bed. They are saying that he burned Julie, and uh, they're calling her dead now, and that he should take some time and get some medals for what he did. And that's it. Stick to the evidence. It only goes one way, and Woodard did it. Right. So we go to 2015, and Eliza's showing Hayes Dan O'Brien's remains and asking if he thinks this could connect to Tom. And yeah, she Eliza, implies she's implying that Tom is dead, right? Right, right. Which we didn't know because she says what happened to Tom, and we don't even know what she's talking about. And we do know we do have hints that Wayne and Roland killed somebody, and. Yes. And we also have proof we also have proof. We also have evidence that Harris is missing now too about this time. Harris is dead. So did Tom did God all these freaking people. Did Wayne and Roland kill Harris? I don't think That's they killed what, Tom. They didn't take Tom away and kill him, but No, did, I don't think so. Did they kill Dan O'Brien in the quarry? Did the professor use the candlestick in the lobby? <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, I don't what, think they what killed happened, Dan O'Brien. What happened to Harris? I think that's the thing that Roland is worried about that Wayne will reveal. Yeah, I think it's got to do. Well, I mean, we know it's got to do with Harris, James. They bring him up several times when they're talking um, and kind of tease us about it. But, yeah, I think they did something to him. I think that's certainly the way they've um, led us to believe and then we see a picture of Tom that looks like a booking picture when Eliza's talking to him. Okay, so Her- uh, Hayes and West, I'm going to get my names confused now, go to talk to a guy that found the backpack about Harris James, who's the one who identified it, and that he said the backpack looks like the boy's backpack that day. And they ask what he's doing now, and then they're pulling up at the Hoyt plant. And he's the chief 
security officer officer. Um, they tease around about, you know, if I could get your salary and he's like, you've checked on my salary. And he's like a little put off by that. So this guy was like a nighttime security guard turned chief security officer overnight. It looks like. Right. He got, he's getting his, his incongruous work for his pay doesn't match his work. And they this this was a great scene. I thought it was really really well written. It was funny and it revealed a lot. Like, okay, dude, you're you're a you're a Paul Blart mall cop, and now you're getting big money. What are you doing protecting the secret chicken recipe? Like, it's it was really funny and revealing. I thought it was really good. And they and Harris just seems like a pompous ass in this. It makes Harris really unlikable for more than just the fact that he covered up a fake clue or well, that's what I was clue. saying. He seemed insulting. Right. And that's kind of what I got out of it when he's talking about driving around. I'm not, I no longer drive around and eat donuts or whatever. And I did not, I mean, yeah, he did no say more hemorrhoids that. than 15 grand a year. I, I'm sorry. I left that behind. Yeah. He's right. like making fun of them being stuck where he was that he can now, and he's right. way above them on a pay scale. Well, they point out that Lucy worked there before, which we knew, but he says he never knew her there. Um, and we find out in this ep- in this scene, too, that he did see Tom, or he says he did, standing That's across. That's the critical part of it. He says right. Tom was across the street watching, like, oh, just make sure they find that backpack that I, that I Tom, threw in there. Right. Yeah, that was that was pretty clear. So then we go to 2015. Well, this also, a, Michelle, that's where he makes mm-hmm. the snarky comment about Wayne's body. Right. That's what I was. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He made that donut kind of. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know why I didn't take that like that at all. Guys don't but, really talk that way to each other. On If the if, you, if you're yeah. teasing somebody, you know, as a friend, maybe. Right. That makes sense. Since you said it, I'm can see that. But like I said, that makes my mind like spin in a hundred different directions. I'll, I'll have to think on that. Okay. So in 2015, Eliza's telling Hayes about Harris James disappearing during the 1990 investigation after he worked the scene in 1980. Then she points out all the other fatalities, which is what you were talking about associated with this case. And she, yeah, she, like, she says, so she says the mother, the father, so the father would be Tom. Yeah. The mother, the father, Will, cut the cousin's body, Woodard's massacre, the former cop in the quarry, or the former cop, is or, or is the former cop in the quarry too? Are they going to find that? Like, so Harris, right? Well, Harris is dead because they talk about, in one scene in here, uh, getting the information from his widow. So we know he's dead. He's not just missing, I don't think. Yeah, so all these people, man, all these people that could tell the truth of what happened are starting to be found dead. But this is like 45 years later. But so that's a long time. Do you think 
Eliza's statements to Wayne were accusatory towards Wayne. Like, we're going to find what you guys did. We're going to find more and more and more. <laughs> I think they're accusatory. I don't know if they're accusatory in I think you did it. I don't think they're necessarily that. But I think they're accusatory in you let this happen. You should have seen things differently. Why wasn't things? Why weren't things done this way or whatever? Yeah, Maybe. It makes Wayne mad. He ends, he ends the interview. Yeah, what? Yeah, I didn't, couldn't tell if he got mad or if he's just getting overwhelmed with all of the information. But but his he, processor couldn't keep up with it. Like, wait, I can't keep my story right. straight. I gotta I gotta step back. Right. Okay. Then we see Amelia, and she's talking to the nun who doesn't recognize the adult Julie security footage photo. But when she's shown a picture of Julie as a child, she takes her inside. So Amelia's talking to this girl who was in the same group as Julie. She's just like months behind her, behind finding her. But Julie left about five months ago. She dropped out a couple weeks, uh, this girl did, after Mary Julie, Mary July, the girl in the pink room, the queen in the pink castle. We're getting all these, and we've we've heard them before. Um, But all of her friends thought she just pretended this stuff. And then she gives Amelia the advice to write a book about what happens to girls out here. Yeah, if you want the real, really want to write a book, write about what happens to girls out here. So, Michelle, there's an interesting thing that happens here, too, but it just just prompted a question. So why aren't you curious about why Amelia doesn't tell all this to Wayne, just like you're worried that the boss didn't tell all this to the cops back then about Tom? Why doesn't Amelia go right to Wayne? Hey, hey, look what I found out today. Because she's married to an asshole, and she can't go to him and tell him anything about this. Because every time she brings up anything about this, all she gets is smacked in the face. Wayne could have read the book, or, yeah, Hayes could have read the book, but he didn't. He points out several times we hear it again and again and again. He didn't want to hear what Amelia had to say. And it would have been beneficial to him at the time, but he was so closed off to that. Well, Michelle, I got some theories that are going to spin you in your office chair. Okay, spin me. I'm sitting. (laughs) Well, first of all, the scene with the nun, let's talk about that a little bit more. While she's talking and the girl's smoking a cigarette and they look out the window, a landscaping guy appears. Mm -hmm. Did Did you connect any of that to anything? I saw it and I looked and I, but I didn't. I, the company, I don't. The company is Ardoin Landscaping, and Mark mm-hmm. and Mike Ardoin was a character, the boy who said, he's the kid who talked, told, told the Wayne, I guess, or somebody about the Halloween dolls and the two ghosts. That kid in the class who knew Julian Will was Mike Ardoin. So somehow his family's name is now on this landscaping guy who appears, and for some reason they show him doing only landscaping work. But if you remember in season one, there was a landscaping lawnmower man that was part of the problem, part of the mystery. That's true. So that does not appear for no reason either. I did notice that, but I did not put any of that together. For some reason, I don't have this kid's name. I have like a whole list of everybody's name that I've, you know, I've been trying to keep up with, and he's not on here. Yeah, there's so. a if you if you Google uh, True Detective Wiki, 
there's mm-hmm. a there's a Wikipedia there's like a wiki it's not Wikipedia but there's a wiki right mm-hmm. and Mike Ardoin is one of the characters so just look up Ardoin and Mike Ardoin shows up here I'll read what it says about him Mark, Mike Ardoin is a recurring character in season three of True Detective played by Corbin Pitts he attends the same school as Will and Julie and then when you I look, remember him because he was the one who had a crush on Julie I think so yeah he waves yeah. as they're riding the bikes and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the landscaping ki- family kid. So somehow that's he's. Inter- that's and, interesting. And if yeah. spoil, I mean, by now we've spoiled a, a lot of stuff. But so spoiler, I think Wayne has read the book multiple times. He's freaking freaking made a textbook college course out of it. We see later. He's not reading that book for the first time. 20 years i think he's for i think he's read it and read it and for, keeps forgetting i think wayne, i think the crux of the story is wayne's forgetfulness of stuff that he's done that he can't remember yeah but they can't tell us that he hasn't read it i mean they, they've said that at least three times he said that he has not read the book and amelia didn't mind that he hadn't read it do you think so you, do you fair. think those notes and post-its and everything in the book that Roland looks at later indicate that he just did that or was yeah, that I, years of research? No, I think that's what he's doing now. Okay. I mean, that's how I, I, I took I think it, I think he's been making a study of that book for over a long time, not just See, lately. he would have known like the part about Lucy saying that about laughter in the house, children should laugh. He would have known that back then if he had read the book. And it's Maybe important. he did know it back then and he forgot it. He's got, he's, he's lucid when he's young, but yeah. he's got this problem looming in his future. I don't know that much about, um, about Alzheimer's or whatever disease he has, but he's, it's appearing very, you know, subtly in certain spots and then stronger as he's old. And maybe that's I part guess of they've his... yeah. I guess they've got that out with it. You know, they can say that because of his declining mental capability. But I, I don't really like that if they're doing that because they they're they're telling us that he didn't, and then oh well, he just didn't remember. Well, then how much other stuff can can they do that with? I don't, I don't like that if if that's what they're doing. Okay, then we go to 1990, and Hayes and West are driving, and they get a call that some guy wants to talk to them, and give them they give them a number. And then we see Hayes and West pull into a diner, and there sits Dan O'Brien, who is worse for the wear. And he knows something, but he wants $7,000. He kind of gives them, and what's the $7,000? What's that amount? Isn't that a weird amount? Unless it's like a gambling debt or something. It's not like 5000 or 10000 It's like seventh. It's not quite as weird as like 2368 but it's still an odd number. I was just impressed that he was doing three things at the same time. He's eating scrambled eggs, smoking, and drinking coffee. I mean, smoking while he's... It, it, does that happen? Is that a thing? I think probably if you're a tweaker like him, it probably does. Their confusion's going to clear up when they give him this money. They threaten him, and he's like, "You know, you don't understand what you're doing. You know, and I'm just, I, I'm just a drug addict. I'll, you know, essentially say that I was making this stuff up, and 
But he does tell them that there's people out there that are looking for Julie. And if they find her first, it's going to be a problem. They're like, it'll take us some time to come up with that money. We can't do it. And he's like, you don't have time. She doesn't have the time. Yeah, TikTok, they have a head start on you. Yeah. He insinuates that Lucy was murdered and made to look like suicide. And one of the most interesting, now this was interesting to me, this comment, he said that Lucy was the type of person to push until she got what she wanted, and then she'd continue to push until she got what she didn't want. That was a great line. That was really good. He also says some creepy stuff, like we had some landmarks together or something or shared some milestones together. Yeah, we find out here that she grew up with him, and we didn't know that, right? At the age of four and two. Yeah, and that that they shared um, some milestones, I think is the word he used, in kind of kind of a leery kind of way. Like he gave her her first hit of heroin or he slept with her for the first time or something nefarious. Yeah, I, I took it sexual. But, I mean, yeah, you're right. It could have been something else, too, or or and too. Um, he also, they, I thought I thought O'Brien downplayed Tom that that's the wrong path for them to pursue. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. They asked him if what happened had anything to do with Tom, and he says, you think I'm afraid of Tom? You yeah. know, he's like, you guys are barking up the wrong tree. You have no idea what you're, what you're in on. Now, do you think they would have let him leave? I don't think they had a choice. What, it just, know. yeah, it didn't make any sense to me that they would let this guy walk out. The tweaker says he's going to call him in a couple days. Well, he's not going to go anywhere if he thinks they're going to give him money for his info. He's going to come back to them. I know, but they're like desperate to find this girl, and he's got some information that can help them, and they just let him walk away. What are they going to do, know. though? I don't know. He's got no. He's got no resources to get very far. They have beat up better people for less information. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think that's much of a worry. I think he wants what they have. He's going to come back for his money. Hopefully, he's going to get money from them. They got a pretty short leash on him. I just thought this guy, this actor, Michael Graziani, or what's his name? Graziati. Great actor for doing this role. This Because he looks like a normal dude in that picture, and then he is wigged out in this scene, and he just acts it so perfectly. Jittery, yeah, he did. Out. He did, and it was interesting because he's like, you think you can threaten me with beating me up? I've been getting beat up since I was two years old. Really profound things he's saying uh, about things that shape people's lives and stuff. So Michelle, I was going to ask. I was going to ask you to ask Mike. Your husband's in a car guy. I was interested in um, Dan O'Brien's car because he drives off in a Capri, a Mercury Capri, mm-hmm. which is a, not a very you know it's a kind of a nondescript '70s car. But when I was a kid, there was a guy on my block who was kind of a young hotshot guy, and he had a Corvette and he had a Capri. So he he thought Capri was a cool car, and I wondered why. Capri was such a special car for people that were into cars. Hmm. It was a it was a kind of a cool car back then for some reason. And this guy Dan O'Brien has a beat up old orange one. Um, but anyway, so a person who, when I was a kid, who thought a Corvette was cool, also thought a Capri was cool. That's interesting. I don't know. It's got probably nothing him. to do with True Detective's story, but it just was interesting to me. Yeah, and. 
Well, and and kind of lends to the fact that maybe O'Brien was cool back in the day because this is in 1990 now, and then ten years later he was cool looking in his picture. He looked, you know, sharp dress. He's dressed well, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe it is kind of a, a hint. And then he's still, you know, ten years later, his life's taken a turn for the worse, but he still has his old stuff that he's. He's got Same the he's stuff. got the Ray Corvette, <laughs> ten years yeah, old yeah. or whatever. So, Dan leaves, and they discuss getting the phone records for Lucy's hotel room. So that was a little and to play to play into your hand here too. Wayne does suggest that they figure out where Tom was when Lucy died. Let's look at Tom. See where he was when Lucy died. Like he's he is suspicious of Tom. Yes. Yeah, he is. So Tom is being released from prison. He wants to see West and he goes to his office and he's not there, but he overhears the guys talking in the office, the the investigative office about the meeting with Dan, the money he wants and that they want to get the phone records from Lucy's room. So he hears plenty of information. Then we go to 2015, and Hayes is looking at the photo of the bones of Dan O'Brien. And he looks back inside his house. He's sitting outside, and he sees Hayes and Eliza kind of bickering, saying this is a mistake. Or Henry saying to Eliza that this is a mistake. Henry scolds Hayes for smoking. He walks outside and Hayes offers him one and he takes it. So that's why I thought the smoking thing was kind of funny. He says he can't see depriving himself now. So it's like he deprived himself at some point. I don't know. Also, why, what about leaving my wife? Is it right to tell her about my affair? Why should, you know, why should that come into the story? That's what I was asking. And, He's not going to leave her, he says. But what what was that? I don't know. I I just thought it was funny how both Wayne Sr. and Henry Jr. each fell for the same type of woman, the investigator type woman that he finds her exciting. Like Amelia and Eliza are both similar and they're digging for info. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Henry asks if he should tell Heather, his wife, and Hayes says there's something to be said for the truth hurting her. And why would Henry want to make himself feel better but make Heather feel worse since he's not going to leave her? That's the classic then, argument about do you tell somebody you're cheating yeah, on them. Right. But Henry says it's not like it used to be with Heather, and Hayes says nothing is ever like it used to be. And then Hayes asked him if he taught him to withhold, if Hayes taught Henry to withhold. And Henry acts like he doesn't understand. But Hayes says, I never intended that. Uh, withhold intimacy with your spouse. Is that what he, I assume that's what he's talking about, right? Like opening up with your spouse. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I, again, this is odd advice for this murder mystery. Or this right. kidnapping mystery. Did I teach you to withhold anything? And I mean, what's that got to do with poor Julie somewhere? Right. It was like this little side thing thrown in with this affair between Henry and Eliza. And I don't know. 
I just don't, uh, I don't get how it relates. But Henry says he got the addresses his dad wanted. Hayes tells him that before he had kids, that was a great, that's another one. This is a second really great statement. Before he had kids, he was brave. And that his wife and kids made him a coward. Or really, he made him a coward when Henry was born. Yeah, you can't can't help but be afraid for the people you love. It's very profound. Pizzolatto's dropping these profound thoughts on us. But what what do they mean to this story? Right. Do you tell right. your wife if you had an affair, and why? And wh- why are the people that are so special to you? Why do they make you afraid of losing them, or of get them getting hurt, getting kidnapped? It's it's interesting, it, and there's no answer to it that I can figure out. No, that's that was a profound statement, though, because it's true. You or in in. I certainly view it as true that when you have children, then you are afraid. You know, you can't take the same risks and stuff that you took earlier in life because it, if it fails, it you're not the only one that that faces the repercussions of that. Yeah. And he, uh, Hayes kind of brings that up that he used to be brave people even called the stuff he did brave but you made me a coward well i, so bu- was- I buy all that i mean even as a not a, i'm not a parent i could see i could so, totally see all that but what does it mean in this story right that's my question why is this stuff coming up here i don't i don't know okay so he looks out onto the yard and he sees uh young amelia and hayes planting plants in the backyard yeah young amelia and henry and Henry, sorry. He yeah, is Hayes, technically, but Yes, I know. Oh, no. <laughs> names, names, names. Okay. Unless Tom is his father. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. And he's forgotten. Yeah, you never know. Okay, 1980, uh, they're at the town hall. And this is where I guess we're just getting like, I didn't really understand this scene either. Unless they're just like wrapping it up for the town, to get the town off their back about it. Why else would they have this? Because they have the fatty Halloween lady again showing up. Mike. (laughs) Well, it's true. She's sitting next to Lucy, and then she rolls up after Lucy takes off, lead-footing, hot-footing it out of there in her car. That lady lady is going to pop up somewhere in the Hoyt payroll, I think. Really? Yeah, like keep a, keep tabs on this Lucy. We don't want her saying the wrong thing. We want to know where she is every minute. Like, I don't know. She's there for a reason. Okay. And it's not a good reason, I don't think. Well, we find out here that Lucy's still mad at Amelia. She don't want to have anything to do with her. And that's about the only thing I got out of that scene other than the fact that they were kind of wrapping it up for the public you think Lucy? you think amelia because amelia kind of defends lucy a little bit here do you think that's only to get because this other reporter was stepping in front of her for the info and she wanted the info like she kind of defends lucy from this blonde reporter right yeah i didn't think about that like that but it certainly could be I mean, if you're right about Amelia, which I'm still unconvinced that Amelia is this heartless kind of shrew 
that's stepping on everybody just to get her story. I just don't see her this way. I see Amelia as somebody who wrote about this because it was something that consumed her life and she had to dig about it because Hayes wouldn't talk about it. And maybe she was even trying to get closer to him by finding out some of the stuff. I don't know, but I don't see her the same way you see well, her. Well, if that prompts the question, there's a lot of questions here, Michelle. Like, if your life partner is totally motivated to do something, but it hurts you as a person, do you do you go ahead and do it anyway because it's your life motivation, or do you honor what hurts your partner more? Well, yeah, I mean that's a good question. That's a big life question, and I think we see that Hayes, I think they've kind of insinuated that Hayes drops out of this because of her. Maybe that, that is a, that is a possibility. Well, he kind of said it last episode when he was talking to West on the porch, he said, I had other things to consider back then. I think he might've even said my marriage. If he didn't say it, he certainly insinuated it. And that's why he left. So, okay, so we go to 1990. Hayes and West are driving. West is saying that they need to look at who else might have planted the backpack and the shirt. Hayes says, we're not clearing Tom yet. West goes to take Hayes home. Hayes does not want to go home, so much so that he jumps out of the moving car. And yeah, but Waze... so there's some other stuff here, Michelle. So okay. Roland says it'd be ironic that shit bird clears Tom, like, like he means Dan, right? Be ironic if that shitbird clears Tom from this crime. Right. Okay, so there's that. But we heard this before when he says, it's funny how this town died. We heard this in another episode of our podcast series. And I can't for the life of me remember what it was. We didn't. It was, it was on the upcoming before. And they just finally brought it out. No, That's but we all. heard somewhere in another podcast series that we did where somebody oh maybe a fargo where somebody says this town's been dying for years or i can't remember where we heard it but it really rang a note in my memory that not, not, not obviously not a complete note because i can't remember where but this town's been dying for years i don't know i thought you might remember if you heard it but no i just remember that it was brought up in upcoming like way several episodes ago and then it just like came out in this one they did that with that and they did that with um amelia with the girl yeah that where we thought the girl was julie yeah i i believe that but i also know that there was another instance of this town dying it's it's already been dying in a million ways in other ways but from not from this not from true detective yeah don't remember so the and then you know Wayne does get out of the car and kind of leaves Roland behind, but that was also more evidence of we work it differently, and that's why I'm successful and you're not, right? I think that's kind of why they had this. Yeah, successful outside of work. Too. Well, in work, Roland's made it way up the financial ladder, and Wayne's not because he's. That's why, you know, we work it differently. I go I go along to get along, and you don't. That's why I'm... Oh, at- I didn't think that's what it was about. I thought he was saying... I, I, I thought he was insinuating that's why his he had a home life. 
going home to Lori with the house and everything because he did go home. And Hayes obviously had this contentious relationship with Amelia because he didn't go home. Hmm, that's I, interesting. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the reason. I, I thought about the financial one. That's yeah, that's interesting that you said that because the, it's that way too. So I guess it could have could have been either way. They or maybe both. But West tells him he's going to get shot walking down the road there, but a black man in this part of town. Yeah. But he drives off leaving him in the dust. Then we see Dan at the soda machine in the hotel when Tom comes up with his shirt askew and knocking back the liquor. Yeah, Michelle, what's with this hotel road, this little hotel with a Dr. Pepper machine and a stringer of fish hanging on the wall? There's a stringer of fish hanging on the wall outside wall of a hotel. Would you stay at that hotel? Well, <laughs> it would not be my first choice for sure, but it's it's a dive, right? It's a place for people like What's the logic there? How long do you leave the stringer? It's at night. It's like he's going out for a quick Dr. Pepper before he goes to bed or whatever. It's, you know, you leave your right. stringer of fish hanging out in the air on the wall of the public hotel all night i don't know i need to know what's up with that stringer of fish i don't know at first i Um, thought it was decorations like oh this is the the bait shop hotel but it looked like a real stringer of fish yeah i i think there's like kind of showing that people just live there it's a hotel but it's the kind of place that people live okay i buy that but even if you live there you don't hang fish all night in the open air you I don't them. hang you my fish them. outside. Yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> or you don't put know. them in a in a bait bucket, or you keep them somewhere more preserved, freezer. <laughs> I don't know. Another mystery. Um, <laughs> that's interesting that that you thought about that. I gave it a cursory thing and just didn't think any more about it. Um, Dan is being real ugly to Tom, right? He says there's a rest stop up the road if Tom needs something to do. There's a glory hole at the gas station. Yeah. Um, he's being ugly, right? So he knew this about Tom as well, and he didn't say anything. And he wasn't Tom's best friend back then, but nobody said anything. So Tom pulls a gun, pushes him into the hotel room, and wants to know what he's selling the cops. Uh, Dan gets the better of him for a second. Fight ensues. Tom gets the gun again. He starts screaming about the peephole in Julie's room. And this is where Dan denies it, and you believe him, right? I mean, we believe him. Yeah, I believe that Tom didn't know about the peephole, and Dan denies spying through it. I think that's true. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, he says, insinuates, you know, hey, that that was my niece or whatever. But we've also got the little taste of Dan where he, you know, might have had something going on with Lucy. Yeah, but Lucy's, if they're four and two when they're together, he's she's technically not a relative. Your cousin, maybe cousin, I could buy that. But he, she's at least his age. He's not, he's not pervin on her niece his niece that's different yeah it is different to a boy and a girl growing up together could easily be physical with each other if they're attracted to each other and they're at least cousin separated you know 
But so could Ju- no, that's not right. Julie couldn't belong to Dan. I don't know why not. Cousins can have a baby. That's a healthy baby. So if Julie, well, sure, sure, that's not, I, I didn't mean that. I mean, I didn't mean physically she couldn't, but I'm just saying if if she belonged to Dan, then that's going to open up a whole other doorway of stuff, right? Because Dan would have sold her. Yeah, Dan, I think that's the implication. That's the whole, we had milestones together, like they had sex together as kids and probably as you know, 15 and 16 and 17 year olds and whatever, whatever age Julie had, they had to be to have Julie and Dan's doing stuff for money. He's a tweaker. Hmm. You know, you don't sell a kid for a hundred bucks and he wants 7,000. That would be about the price that some creep would try to probably sell a kid for. I I think it, I think that's what it's hinting at. So you felt like Dan could have been Julie's father I can't see any reason why he – I don't think it – well, I, sh- I was about to say I don't think it matters who is Julie's father in the in the commission of the cr- crime. Right. But I don't see why he couldn't be her father. Hmm. What makes you think he's not her father? I just didn't think about it at all until we just – this is another thing that just kind of hit me that he could have been, I guess. Hmm. Okay, so Dan starts asking him how he felt like Lucy got the money to run off for those eight years. Right. This is the closest we get to some of the answers of the story. Right. And poor Tom. Tom's like, say what you're saying. You know, Tom doesn't get it. You have to, like, spell it out for Tom. Dan says he know who was he knows who was paying her and who would have a problem if she asked for more. And all he had was a name for the cops. That's all he was selling. And then Tom says to give him a reason that he shouldn't murder Dan. And then that's the end of it. We don't know what else he said to him. We don't know if he actually did murder Dan. We don't know anything. Right. So, I mean, I can't imagine he murdered him, took him to a quarry in southern Missouri, dumped him. No, Tom's too sloppy and too emotionally wrecked to do any cover up of a a crime. Right. Like, that's a pretty good cover up to put somebody in a quarry. That takes a lot of effort. That's cop. That's like Roland and Wayne did something like that. But what. Yeah. I I don't know. They kind of hint at that, that. She so Julie's getting money from some people that can give her enough money to Lucy. run off and live for eight years. Lucy, not Julie, but yeah, yeah. Somebody. So he's saying somebody paid Lucy for Julie. Is what he's saying, right? Yeah, Lucy. Yeah. So, but then what? Yeah, then what? What happens to him? The quarry? <laughs> I don't think Tom puts him in the quarry. I can't. No, see him I, no, being... no. Because Roger, this, you know. No. He was about to shoot him in the hotel room with evidence and blood, and, you know, that would have been... Right. Messy. Okay, so then Hayes is at the old Purcell home. This is uh, 1990. He's walking... He's uh, walked there from leaving West Car. It's all cobwebby and graffitied inside, like majorly graffitied, not even... Yes. 
he goes back to the room and he looks at the peephole and this is where he gets that inspiration for the note he rolls up the note shoves it inside the hole and that's where we figure out that that's what that hole was for it was not a peephole now i don't mind that at all they led us to believe it was a peephole we do find out it was from will's room to julie's room which is what i had thought but they were just passing notes that's all that was obviously like when the parents were fighting and stuff like that so I don't mind the fact that they kind of led us to believe it was something more, you know, sinister. But the fact that it was just a place to pass notes, that's okay with me. Okay, so we go to 2015, and Hayes is telling West that they were passing notes as kids, and that's what the hole was for. Hayes tells West that Eliza asked him again about Harris James, and West is a little bit concerned about that, but he says even if he screws up, he can pull the Dan O'Brien and say he's just a sick old man. Yeah, so if we don't like Tom's boss not talking to the cops, don't we also not like Roland knowing something about Hayes that he, he's clearly worried that he's talking to Eliza, like he's going to spill some beans? This is something about Harris James. They did something to Harris James. They had yeah. to have. Yeah. Yeah, and he doesn't like him talking to him, to to Eliza, because he's afraid something's going to come out, particularly with how bad Hayes' memory is. Right, but I guess what I'm saying is the it's kind of manipulative in the story that Roland doesn't say, God, Wayne, you got to remember not to tell Eliza that we put him in the quarry, that we killed, you know, like be very specific right. with him. It's 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 teasing us, taunting us a little bit as well, viewers. They, yeah, it is. They showed in one of the upcomings, and they haven't done these upcomings episode to episode, but in one of the upcomings a while ago, they showed West beating somebody up, and it was not two thousand or nineteen ninety Dan O'Brien. It wasn't him. You know that for sure. Yeah, I saw him. And it wasn't him. It was probably because it was somebody with short, lighter colored hair. So it was probably Harris James. We didn't know Harris James at that time at all. We hadn't heard of him, hadn't heard anything about him. So I'm guessing that's going to come up at some point because we've seen that in the upcomings. Right. In the barn. Yeah. Yeah. So. He tells him about the names he's got, the list of names that Henry got for him. Hayes tells West, a former domestic, Harris James' widow, that's how we know he's dead, and Hoyt's, uh, I wrote Hoyt's house, but I don't, hmm, I don't, I don't know, something to do with Hoyt, I don't know. Right. Okay, so West asked, why? What do you think we can do? And Hayes has to get up and go to the bathroom. So he gets up and he goes to the bathroom while he's gone. West is going through his stuff. He sees the gun there. You can tell he kind of doesn't like that because they focus on that gun for a hot minute. And then he's going through the book. And you're right. He has made a college course out of Amelia's book. It's all highlighted and marked and sticky noted. I, I think I think I I made my comment earlier that Wayne made a course out of this book and that he's read it even 
before years before, because mm-hmm. even now in this conversation, Michelle, he tells West, I still haven't finished it. He's clearly finished it. He just for, he's either misleading West or he's forgetful. But you wouldn't try to mislead a guy when the book's stuffed full of notes and crib notes and markings and paper clips and post-its. You've clearly read that book. You you have a great point with that. And you could definitely be right. But I just don't like them saying it repeatedly if it's not true. It's like it's, I don't know, I just don't like that. I know, but, but I guess my point with like, why doesn't Roland like hammer it into his head? Like, dude, you are a forgetful person. You have a me- mental memory problem. Do not talk to Eliza about Harris James. Like he doesn't hammer that into him. That's also a little bit teasingly done by the writers, right? If, if it's a memento type person that forgets everything, which yeah. he clearly comes back in a minute later. Hey, hey, Wayne, what do you do? Or hey. Hey, um, Roland, Roland, what are you doing here? Nice to see Mm -hmm. like he's forgotten in the span of a bathroom break that he's meeting with him. Yeah, he did. He did completely forget. That's right. I don't know. And I get I get what you're saying with it. I just I don't know about that. Did you read the book? Did you screenshot and read any of the story? I didn't. Did you? Yeah, there's a little bit of an interesting part that you can read. It's a it's a car accident. And, um. I have it here, so I'll just read this one little paragraph. So this is Amelia writing this. I guess it's Amelia's perspective, right? She says, I plunged into the car for the third time, swept the ceiling with my hands, finally found it, finally found it lodged against the windshield screen intact. It was a shock to see it so pristine. My husband was bleeding. My daughter was injured. My body was damaged. Our SUV was destroyed. But the phone had survived unmarked. A relic from another era, another earth, 1027 p.m. It read read we'd been off the road for almost an hour or something kind of fades off in the screen. So there's a car accident that Amelia is writing about where she goes back in and sees Wayne and I guess their daughter injured. So I don't know if that's maybe what made the daughter... Not like Wayne as an adult. Okay, so she yeah, because we got to find that out too. Okay, so she she's writing about herself because usually when you're doing a story like this, you don't put your personal stuff into it in the book. Clearly, this is though. It's 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 talking about her husband and her daughter. I plunged into the car. My okay. husband, my daughter. Okay. Then in the bottom notes of the book, it's Will's Par- Will Parcell's body discovered in cave in Devil's Den. Hmm. And he's got a bunch of stuff circled, and he's got Lucy circled and a big star next to it with a question mark. And it's pretty interesting if you screenshot and read this book. Yeah, that is interesting. I'll have to do that. I don't know. That's very interesting. But we we know something happens because we've seen in upcomings, we've seen Hayes naked or, you know, naked from what they're showing us, at least, and bloody and outside. I don't know. 
Okay, so Hayes comes back into the room and is surprised that West is there. Like you said, he's looking all squirrely. He has West look out the window to see if there's a dark sedan idling down the street. West goes to the window and there's no one there. And he asks if Hayes has been seeing a car. And this is where Hayes says again he's never read the book all the way. And Amelia never minded. And it can't be true at this point. You can't re- you can't see that book and think he's not. He's, he stopped at the final chapter, didn't read it. Right. It's not true. He's he's forgetting. That's a good point. That's a good point. Hayes asked if it's 2015. So that's how bad Hayes is right here. So we go to 1990, and this is where Amelia's doing the book reading at the bookstore. Now, what was that all about? And why? Well, we see the real guy with the scar and the bad eye. That is the real guy that they met, not the other guy. Right. Whitestone or whatever his name was. Whitehead. Mm -hmm. Whitehead. Sam Whitehead. Yeah. My grandson's name. A lost child is a story that never is allowed to end, I think think what Amelia reads when they kind of get to it. But the black man is way motivated for some reason. Is that girl still alive? Do you know where she is? Do they know where she is? What about your book? Do you have any, you know, he's, he's that proxy that I'm trying to put Wayne in (laughs) where Wayne's mad that Amelia's reaping the rewards of this crime for her own benefit. He's okay. He's convinced that she's doing something wrong by writing this book. Yeah, he's mad about it, for sure. He thinks she's certainly uh, what what Wayne's accused her of benefiting from other people's pain. But why he's madder, this... he's madder than he needs to be for that reason. Like, like, you might think that about an author, but do you go to the reading and make a scene? And t- I mean, something has happened to this guy. Well, because he's involved in some way. This guy's involved, and... I mean, so so they never found the one-eyed black man. Well, I guess this is him. So I don't know. I- right, but prior to this, like like when this happened back in 1980, they never found this guy. We don't know that they haven't. Well, they didn't show us anything in 1980 about us finding him. Only the false lead with the other one-eyed black man. I know, but they also didn't show us the book. This, this book with all the annotations in it that Wayne has that clearly reveals that he's read it. There's a lot that they haven't shown us. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. I guess that's true. This well, guy coming forward, though. Yeah, he's mo- he's way motivated, and it seems like for a good reason. Like he's not like worried that something's going to spill on him. He's trying to uncover. He's trying to reveal an evil that he feels – he's trying to right a wrong that he feels has been done to Julie and people that are kidnapped. Or he's, he seems like a good guy, not a bad guy. It seems like – I mean, you know, we've already forgotten about the woman and the man in the car that were seen driving and driving down that road the day that Julie disappeared. right. And this is obviously the guy, so I don't know. Them throwing him in there like that was kind of odd. Amelia whispers, dolls. So that's all we know. Okay, and then we see Tom. He's driving past the Hoyt estate, drinking 
whiskey very heavily. Then we see him on the grounds with the gun, first through the security camera, and then actually on the ground. He's breaking in, and someone's watching him on the camera, and they're smoking. Yeah, uh, Harris is watching him. Tom's no cap burglar, Michelle. He's, uh, they're letting him in. They're just feeding right. him enough rope to hang himself here. Right. That's why I'm wondering if maybe O'Brien wasn't, like, set up to do that for some reason, knowing Tom would come after him, and he would give Tom that information so Tom would go there. Hmm. I don't think Tom was going after O'Brien. I think I think O'Brien probably gave Tom... Well, Tom knew about the Hoyt. Well, maybe you're right. O'Brien gave Tom info about Hoyt. And Tom went to investigate himself, but just just clumsily, he breaks the window and. Well, but Tom's not bright. Right. We wouldn't expect anything better out of Tom. Tom's not going to mission impossible his way in there. Right. So, I just wonder if that whole thing was a setup, with O'Brien. Mm, no, because because O'Brien was going to give that info to Wayne and Roland for money. That's the info. But even if he gave it to... Okay, okay. What if he was going to give that info to Hayes and West for nothing? Because then Tom would hear it because West was friends with Tom. They would have told him. I mean, it would have... No, because... It would Dan, have eventually too, come out. O'Brien is too sloppy, too. He's he's too strung out on... He needs that money for his drugs. He's not just doing this as kind of a smart... He's no, not Mission Impossible yeah. either. No, what I'm saying is, if Hoyt had put him up to it, to do this, to get this information out, so Tom would come and they could do something... They would know Tom would do something at this point. I think. I think... I think we got what we saw here. I think Maybe. Tom beats up Dan, gives Dan gets afraid, has to tell him that the real reason they wanted the money was to reveal to the cops that Hoyt was behind it. Then then Tom leaves angrily and Dan calls Harris or somebody and says, All right, watch out, this guy knows that he's coming, he beat me up, he threatened to kill me, so I had to tell him. I think I think Dan does warn Harris, but not not smart way just like a blunt way he warns him well that's what i'm saying because it seems like he was waiting for him clearly yeah i mean even going so far as to leave that door open with a sign do not enter and this huge heavy bank vault door is left open so it's just hard to remember when all these people get killed and how because so if harris kills tom but harris is dead himself when when did this happen and then, then subsequently, if Harris kills Tom, somebody kills Harris. <laughs> you know, it's hard to keep all this stuff straight chronologically. Well, yeah, because three of them that we see right there are going to be dead soon: Tom, Harris, James, and Dan. So all three of them are going to be dead. What do you think Tom sees on the wall or in the room and when he thinks it's Julie? I think he sees pictures. Probably like a picture board, like girls have in their room would be my guess. Did you think it was something mm, else? I think it's something 
taxi driver-ish, like like Julie naked or Julie getting raped or something. In her pink room? Yeah, or some, or some movie or something really creepy and bad. I think it's, I think it's, you see his pictures of Julie. He's going to go, oh, Julie. He was like, oh, my God, is that, he was like horrified what he saw. That can't well, I mean, be Julie. I think he was horrified because he walked in that room and saw that Julie had been kept there. Maybe, but you I would, don't know. You would be you would be hopeful, almost like I might have found Julie if you saw like a corkboard of pictures of her. I don't know. I think he saw something very evil, and he's like, "Oh my God, is that Julie?" And okay. remember, he's seen his adult daughter that he hasn't seen since she was what right. ten or eight or whatever. Well, that was a pink room, wasn't it? Yep. That was pretty clear. That was the pinkest of rooms. And that was the end. We see Harris James come up behind him. So, Michelle, I don't even know if we need to do spoilers because we've been spoiling everything we've we've thought of and heard. But what did you see on the next ons? Okay. On the next on, I saw 1990 Hayes is saying they need to keep going. The missing... Prince, the man with one eye, you know, he's bringing up all this other stuff and he sounds upset. Then we see Amelia is showing someone a picture of Julie and Will on Halloween with the two ghosts in the background, the adult ghosts. Mm-hmm. And she's asking if the woman, um, it looks like the person who's always with Lucy, that woman, the one you brought up, um, if she knows who the two ghosts are. And then we see, like, a close-up of the two ghosts. This is 2015 Hayes holding the picture with their with it blown up. The ghosts are blown up, and their hands are circled. So he's looking at something at their hands. Are those ghosts nuns? Like, they're looking at maybe their jewelry or something that, that they could identify them as the nuns from the halfway house? Oh, come on. They're, they can't. It, they better not be. No. Just a thought. Don't get mad. Well, I mean, I'm going to be mad if that. Not, I'm not mad at you, but I'd be mad if they did that. They have to be somebody. They have to be somebody connected to this thing. Then we flash to 2015. By the way, Michelle, aren't people, aren't adults that get dressed up on Halloween sort of creepy? Unless you're going to a party or something just to get up and walk around. I don't know. People do it with their kids and stuff. People go to work in costume. I don't know. It's kind of fun. You don't like that? I think it's, it's kind of dopey. Though I think I think of them as the same way I think of people that, oh, it's my birthday. You know, they think of like Halloween is like a work, like, oh, it's Halloween. What are we going to do? It's like, just go to work. It's, a, it's just a kid's thing. It's not your thing. Well, yeah, but like if you're in a dentist office, maybe, or something like that, and it kind of brings some joy to the people. I don't know. I don't, I don't see anything necessarily I think it's juvenile. It. Juvenile's fun sometimes. Not when you kidnap children, Michelle. I well. can't believe you're making fun of that. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to stand with you on that. Okay, then we go to 2015 Hayes looking at the same picture. It's what, like I said, with the, with the thing blown up. Eliza is asking Hayes if any of his wife's research suggests a conspiracy. 
And then we see suggestive things like 1980 Amelia touching something. She's like putting her hands on a piece of paper and it looks like she's getting something on her fingers. She's looking at her fingers. It's really odd. And Hayes looking out the window, looking scared. This is 19, I think it's 1990 Hayes looking out the window at two cars parked outside. These dark sedans. So we see that. That actually did happen to him at some point, but he looks scared. And then we see Hayes outside naked. We see an old barn. And Amelia asks him what he's doing. And he says, things you're better off not knowing. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So they're not giving us that much in the upcoming anymore. And some of these scenes we've seen before in the upcoming. So that's all they gave us. So I guess we know what we clearly know. Hoyt's clearly involved. He's got the resources to involve a bunch of other people like Harris, his employee, his employee now, and probably this Ardoin landscaping guy somehow connected. People that reach out into the community that can be like prospecting for for your theft or your kidnapping <laughs> victims, like like the like in the season one, the, the 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 lawnmower man was a lawnmower man at like a kids school wasn't he a school of some kind and this guy's the landscaping guy for this halfway house it's pretty it's pretty clear that these people are under the powerful payroll of this hoyt regime yeah how deep is this gonna go well the attorney general wants a conviction that seems pretty it's not right but it seems at least at least politically motivated and not criminally motivated right right but because who knows? the town's coming down on him. They he made in makes... season one. They made Marty's father, or somebody's pretty rich person, look fairly suspicious. You know, rich, rich, quote unquote, up and up, rich on the on the up and up uh, corporate person look pretty evil. Right. The Klansmen outfits and the you know, the five horsemen of the apocalypse or whatever they were doing <laughs> in the dark in their in their ranch. I don't know. It's and then you know, who knows? You know this whole motivation of Wayne being forgetful and Roland not pinning him down on facts that he should be. I don't know. Or right, Michelle, we didn't make it in twelve minutes. We didn't. It went a little bit longer than twelve minutes. Well, but we got is... two more. All right. So what is three oh seven? The final country. And then now I'm found. Now I'm found implies a resolution, doesn't it? Seem that way? It has to, right? All right, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see. See you next week on The Final Country. Okay, Mike. Bye-bye. What I said was never what I meant. And now you've seen my world in flames, my